happening, guys. Happy Wednesday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you guys had a great weekend. Coming up on today's show, Edson Barboza. It's a puzzle that gets solved. Kevin Lee makes his big return, and Conor McGregor has changed his tune. That's all later, of course. I have to begin with my reaction to the must-see event that went down Sunday night in Cleveland, Ohio. Guys, let's dig into this. T. Wood versus Jake Paul. First off, if you missed this, and I don't mean the unified rules, there, there's no exception in boxing aside from the reality that boxing is painfully boring to watch. The greatest thing that Paul has ever done is made it eight rounds. Paul will get no credit for this. People will continue to resist him. If more people would copy Jake Paul and just do eight round boxing matches, the whole sport will be in a better place. Now, I love the way that Paul has disrupted the boxing model. I love the way he stepped in as a famous guy who just had something that he wanted to do. And look, fame doesn't just travel you wherever you go. And you guys would know this as viewers. Think of your favorite Hollywood actor. Throw out the big names. Denzel Washington, right? Brad Pitt. Throw out some big names. Jennifer Aniston. If they go over to boxing, are you going to come with them just because? Just ask yourself that question. And there'll be a part of, yeah, I would go watch them. Yeah, you might. You might go watch them once, but you're not going to just come with them. And we've seen this tested both ways. We've seen people in the boxing world. I'll use Roy Jones Jr., who's a big and meaningful name within the boxing world and thought he could parlay that into rap. I think, if memory serves me right, even Shaquille O'Neal tried doing some level of music and entertainment to get those fans to come with you no matter where you go, you're a YouTube star, but you transition those fans and you pivot over to boxing, that does not just happen because you have 20 million followers. There is an art to that. That's where Jake Paul should get the credit. His ability to bring people along the journey that is Jake Paul's life and for them to not care what genre you're going into, that is an art like no other. If you want to go study Jake Paul, that's what you want to study. Don't study his left and his right hand. Don't even study what he did on YouTube, become big and famous, and he parlayed off of his brother, and all the other things that you want to use as low-hanging fruit for making an excuse as to how you cannot articulate it. That's the part that you want to study about him. So first thing that Jake should get credit for is he could fix the entire sport of boxing if everybody goes into eight rounds to start with. And that'll only be a step in the right direction. If we could get boxing down to five rounds, now you can have five feature matches like us MMA fans are spoiled with. We're used to it and we're spoiled by it. And you have short-term memories, right? Because even in MMA, it was top-heavy main event. It was Dana came in and finally he was also going to do a co-main event. Then Dana opens up what's called a main card. Now, everybody has copied him since, but I'll even remind you, Dana himself, they were all main event heavy. And you had some organizations that went under. I'll bring the Affliction organization to you. When Fedor versus Josh Barnett was promised and could not be delivered, the entire organization went away. Whereas now in today's world, look, main events get changed all the time. Maybe your A-side gets a different fresh face than it was supposed to, or your B-side, things along this. Sometimes the match in its entirety gets scrapped and you just move the co-main to the main. But these are still new world problems. This isn't the way the sport used to be. I submit that piece of evidence for you because boxing is still main event heavy, but it doesn't have to be. 
It could be something that we could enjoy for an entire evening. Not just that one walkout, that one match, that one post-fight interview, but we could have three and four and five of those all in a night. The first thing we have to start with is acknowledging how painfully boring it is to watch two people trying to hit each other with either a left or a right hand. The biggest boxing fan in the world doesn't like boxing. And I get this. If you guys think I'm putting boxing, boxing's my number two sport. I only did two things. I'm wrestling and I did boxing. I love boxing. But you could even put my number one in love, uh, love in there, which is wrestling. We have a hard enough time existing. Wrestling, the sport of wrestling has a hard enough time existing. But we would never try to make somebody watch us for a half hour. None of you would. But we would never even suggest for you that you should. So the first thing, you have to make sure you give Paul credit for this, is that he's changing the sport. And Paul should never go back. He never intended, this was an accident, he never intended to make boxing more enjoyable. He just realized, I'm not 12 round ready. I don't want to go 10 rounds. I got to go something. And they just picked eight very arbitrarily. But he's still right. It'd be even better if he could shorten it to six. But he's still right. He should not be out there for 12 rounds. But nobody should. The boxing world will lead you to believe falsely that the better you are, the more rounds that you go. You will start in the amateurs at three rounds. You can go into the pros as few as six. What was Butterbean was the king of the four-rounders, if I remember right. But it used to go all the way up to, to 15 rounds, which is still on the books today. They just don't elect to do it. They elect to go up to 12. That's a misnomer from Jump Street. It has nothing to do with how good you are as for how many rounds that you should go. It all solely has to do with the viewer and the audience. We don't want to watch any boxer go out there for 12 rounds. So credit to Paul. Now... Fun buildup. All the way down to the day before, something happened with T. Wood's mom and the Paul camp. I have to leave it at something because I didn't see it. The video that was going around that so many of you have sent to me and believe was T. Wood's mom, it wasn't. That was his sister. Now, when the cameras came on and T. Wood's sister is dressing this guy down, we'd already missed. We'd already missed the good stuff, but it happened. It was a piece of theater. T. Wood went as far with to say, to hell with the money. I don't care if this fight doesn't even happen. You bring my mother into it, we're going to deal with this now, whatever the consequences are. And of course, T. Wood's right. We all side with T. Wood on that one. Now you go to Paul. Paul's only got one answer, which is, look, I'm sorry. I didn't see what happened, but whatever it was, his mom shouldn't have been in with that. Or option two, which is the one that Paul went with, the great Paul. I must say, the great Jake Paul said, I don't care what they did to <laughs> He said, I don't care what they did to T. Wood's mom. He offered no apology. These are your only two options, right? But it's but it's a 98% certainty that you're going to go with the first, which is, I'm sorry, Mrs. Woodley should have been left out of it. Paul didn't go with it. To hell with it. It's done anyway. This is all behind us. And he's go the problem child wants to go out there to be the hated child. All fair play for me. I bring this up, and I haven't even talked about a left or a right hand being thrown yet, because if you were negative to the Woodley versus Paul fight, you missed the good stuff. They had a good and fun buildup, and this isn't something that is sustainable. I'll put it at 12 months, and I'm just talking about the general celebrities coming over to boxing. Now, I will share with you that I'm telling you 12 months now, but the first time I used those, those words, 12 months, was about nine months ago. So it's got a little bit, I'm, I'm still at it's got about a year, 
But that's a very broad stroke year. One and two are kind of the same thing. One and two and three are kind of the same. Do we have three years of this? And it's not just the weight of the world that's going to be on Paul. Some other people need to come over. They need to spread this around. But in many ways, and I'm speaking for North America, for North America specifically, Paul is amongst the biggest deals there is in boxing. Paul can generate some real numbers. So can Tyson Fury, in all fairness. And then you'll get the people that want to look like they know boxing, even though they don't follow it. And they'll throw out a name for you like Canelo Alvarez. Or you'll, re- you'll get the real jerk that wants to look like the brave guy at the party that knows about boxing, even though he doesn't. And he'll throw out three letters named Triple G. Now, if you gave him $10,000 to tell you what GG and or G stood for, he'd be stuck. He wouldn't know. He wouldn't know. But he knows that he's heard GGG in order. He wants to look like a smart boxing guy. Mistake that boxing has made, mistake that boxing is continuing to make, and they will always make. Boxing is not fixable, in my opinion. Not with the leadership that is in there right now. You're going to have to throw them all out and start at day one. But a continuing mistake that boxing has made, and they're making right now, is they build one person at a time. From the time I was a child, we could look forward to one guy fighting on TV, and his name was Sugar Ray Leonard. When Leonard was done, we could then look forward to seeing one guy box on television, and his name was Mike Tyson. You could then fast forward that, put in Oscar De La Hoya, put in Floyd Mayweather. But the one constant is true is boxing doesn't know how to build a room full of stars. They've never understood that. And I'll see the media ask Dana White this a number of times through history, whether it was when Ronda left, when we didn't know if Conor was going to be back, When Tito left, when Randy Couture retired, what are you going to do? Your biggest star is gone. And actual media was asking this. This wasn't a rhetorical question. They genuinely didn't know what they had always missed. That Dana had a whole barn full of stars in comparison to the way combat scorts had been done from the beginning of time. In comparison to, he always had five, six, seven guys that could be pay-per-view box office hits. And even if he lost his absolute number one, he still had people he could put in, which is what boxing doesn't have. So when I talk to you about how long does this era have, how long does the celebrity have in boxing, it's not unique to Jake Paul in a broad stroke, but more literal, it is only because boxing makes the mistake of not building a whole bunch of guys at once. Now let's talk about the X's and O's. The fight was fine. What do you want from these guys? You wrapped up their hands with pillows and you told them they can only throw the lead hand or the rear hand. What do you want from them? So they go out and they deliver this. It looked at points in the fight that under the rules of boxing, I can remember one spot specifically, it looked as though Tyron should have had a 10-8. And I mean pro-Tyron, the ref should have jumped in there and given... Paul, a standing eight count. Now that's very relevant. If there was a standing eight count, there is now a signal to the judges of who wins that round, absent of a knockdown and or a standing eight the opposite direction. That did not happen, which means that round is now up in the air. So when you come down to a split decision, you start to talk about things like this. There are no more than talking points, but it did look like the one biggest shot of the entire fight that was landed from T-Wood was enough under the rules of boxing, which are not open purely for interpretation, that that should have been a standing eight, that round should have gone to T-Wood. I don't have the cards in front of me, but that was one talking point. The other side of it was Paul moved very well, and Paul never stopped moving. 
And even in the short time that we've seen Paul in this sport, we have seen some training. I've always been most impressed with Paul's flinches. Now, some of you go, what's a flinch, right? That's like what your what your buddy would do. Do you know? remember, remember that? Remember that old stupid game that the jerk on the playground would do? He'd find, then he'd punch you twice and then say something stupid like two for flinching. It's still a real thing, even a professional sport. If you can do something and get a reaction from your opponent, but you can't, it doesn't just happen like on the playground. It has to be practiced and it has to be trained. And whether it was against the basketball player or it was against Ben Askren or even as this shadow boxing footage that I see of Jake Paul, I've always impressed with his ability to get a reaction, with his ability to flinch. Only because I know it's not normal, only because I know that comes with hours upon hours, days into weeks, into months, into years in the practice room. And it's one of the few things that I've seen that if he's able to flinch, get a reaction, he spent some time working on it. What is Paul going to do when the fight gets deep? What's he going to do when he's tired? What's he going to do when he's losing minutes, losing exchanges, and there's still a bunch of time left? That's where the fighter comes in. Does Paul have that within him? The general guess would have been no. A more logical guess would be no, followed by how would he? How would he have that in him? He's never done it before. He's never been pressed like this. He's never been in a high-pressure situation. He's never been hurt and still has to come out for three more rounds. So how would he know how to deal with it? I can't answer that. I guess because he's special. It's the best I got. I have no more analysis for you than that. He's special. There's something about this guy that he can go out and compete, that he can enjoy himself while he's doing it, that he can enjoy the process. If I have any regret in my MMA career... I didn't enjoy one day of it. I, I look back. I resent that. I resent it about myself. I should have had a little bit of fun. I, was, I, was, I got to see some parts of the world. I should have appreciated that, but I didn't. It was high stress. Every day I'd wake up, I knew how many practices I had to do. I knew how hard that was going to be in addition to the media schedule. Get to the airport, make this town, whatever it was, I never enjoyed it. I was just caught up trying to get through with it so I could get on to the next one. Paul looks like he's enjoying this. He looks like he's having fun. Okay, guys, I promise you I will have much more to say about Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley. And coming up next, I'll tell you about a recent tweet Jake Paul sent out and what I think it really means. That's coming up, but first, here's a word about today's sponsor, 10,000. Guys, I want to tell you about some new training gear I've been using by a company called 10,000. And as a lifelong athlete, I will say, if I would have found this workout gear years ago, just gave me a confidence. It feels better. And guys, I know you can relate to this. You get up, you put on a good shirt, one that you like, one that feels good. It makes you feel good. It motivates you for the workout. In all fairness, that's what I love most about 10,000. First heard about this from Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz and one of the Gracies were asked, what do they need in training gear? Break this down in the world of MMA. Do you need it light? Do you need it breathable? Whatever questions they got asked. They did a great job. So when Dominic got this done, I bought some to support him more than anything else. And I must tell you, I've been running in their interval shorts and their versatile shirt. I love the waistband on these shorts and the shirt liners. I appreciate that it stretched a little bit, but it's breathable, high quality material. Look, I can tell you what a great job this is and how you make these things. Do you care? Do you feel good? Do you look good? Yes, you will. And here's a fun fact too. 
a team of over 200 athletes tested the gear, right, that Dominic helped to design. They loved it too. 10,000 guys has over 10,000 five-star reviews on their products and they're still offering free shipping. All in time for any product to get to you for any holiday or birthdays you have coming up. If you don't like it, no problem, return it. They'll give you your money back. They offer a lifetime guarantee that shows you how much they believe in their quality. 10,000 is offering my listeners 15% off your purchase. All you gotta do is go to 10,000.cc and enter the code CHAIL. You will receive 15% off your purchase. That is 10,000.cc and enter the code CHAIL for a 15% savings. Well, he went and did it. Jake Paul retired. (laughs) Oh, I love this guy. I love this guy, and I feel like you guys are all missing a really good time if you stay on the side of a hater for the simple point of hating. Now, that's part of being a fan, right? You tune in to see a guy win, you see you tune in to see a guy lose. But if you have one of those emotions, and I realize I'm stating the obvious, but putting myself in Paul's shoes, I would have such an evil pleasure from the torment that I am putting the audience as well as my competition through by doing it in the first place, doing it successfully, filling up an arena, and now taking it all away. Right? I get that he's not retired. I I don't think you have to leave me a comment and correct me. I get it. Imagine if he was. Imagine if he was, because what is Paul fighting for? Right? You got to start with that question. And... I imagine if you're a Disney guy or a YouTube character and you're doing goofy things and people brand you that way, but you're a legitimate tough guy, maybe you would want your due. He's legitimately a tough guy. So is his brother. But that's not what they're known for. Okay, so I'm scratching the surface. I'm scratching the surface of why maybe he would flip the script and get in to combat. It's a very good guess, and I'm likely right. I'm at least on the right track. If he were to retire today undefeated is he undefeated one of them's lost and one of them's not i believe he's undefeated having beaten an olympian in ben Askren, having beaten a former world champion in t wood i mean he would stick it in the world's ear to an extent unlike i've ever seen because why is he fighting right you have to go back to that if it's not about a world championship, if it's not about getting in there to the highest level and being recognized with a belt, which by the way is going to come and go quickly, you're going to have that belt for a short period of time. Even if you're a great, it's going to be gone. Whatever magazines they wrote that down in, wherever they, they ca- captured your picture and put champion next to it, you better order one and keep it in your shelf and hope that your grandkids come across it. It's just one of those things. It's going to come and go. And as a guy who dedicated my life for that one moment, I do understand it to some extent, but I, I didn't come into it for the same reason as Paul. Right? I mean, most guys are seeking fame or fortune. Sometimes both. Jake Paul's reasons for fighting were very different than what Tyron's were, just by example. And neither one of them is wrong. Whatever you can cling to for motivation... But Paul, who largely has been a troll and is right, 
His entire contention was one thing. I've worked hard enough and I have the skills to compete and do this successfully. He's right. He proved it. Now, how far does that claim go? Whether he can beat the Canellos or the Triple Gs or the Mike Tysons, right? Some more household names? Who cares? I mean, who cares? He's already gotten and proven what he sought out to get and to prove what if, just what if, he took his ball and went home. He would stick it into everybody's ear. And not to mention, if he does go on and have success, it gets forgotten very quickly. So what emotion could he leave people with that withstood time longer? I believe taking his ball and going home and retiring and giving nobody else the opportunity and making a claim of which turns out to be true that he is good enough, he does work hard enough, and he can go and do it. I mean, in many ways, if he retires, I I like everything that he's doing. I don't feel that he has any misses. And I need to mention this for you. He did this via tweet at 3.45 in the afternoon. Now, 3.45 in the afternoon is a very different tweet than 3 a.m. Can we agree on that? Can we agree that a midday level-headed tweet carries some kind of a weight in the opposite direction, right? Think of John Jones and Conor McGregor, who are both known for tweeting things and then deleting them. They have one thing in common, which is they come right around midnight. And they're substance-controlled tweets and substance-controlled deletes. They tweet when the substance is kicked in, and when the substance goes away, they take them down. 345 is a very different tweet. I mean, I have to bring that up because... Dustin Poirier just did the same thing. Dustin Poirier woke up at 8 a.m. and sent out a tweet that he is the undisputed champion of the world. Now, I don't know where Dustin felt the need to make this claim or where that that came from, but can we all agree that him saying that at 8 in the morning on a weekday is very different than 1 a.m. on a weekend? So when Paul comes out at 3.45 in the afternoon and says... I am retired. And I got to tell you something. I do not believe that Paul wants to fight Woodley again. Not because he's scared of him or any of those playground things. I just think what Paul is trying to do and the exposure that he's trying to get, he's going to want to spread it around. He's going to want some fresh blood. He's going to want a different challenge. He's going to want to prove a different point. I think. I don't fully know what it is that makes him tick, but I think that I'm right. And I think that while being high on adrenaline in the ring post-match, the biggest win of his career, one of the larger upsets in all fairness in all of 2021 as, as combat goes, I think he would like to take that back. How does he get out of it? If I'm right, how does he get out of it? Now, I had this conversation with somebody privately. Guess what they said? They said he's already out of it because T-Wood will never get the tattoo. That surprised me. I do think Tyron will get the tattoo. I don't believe there's any belief to the notion that T-Wood would go back on a bet, but this guy that I was having the debate with said, oh, he would never do it. Think of what you're, he's being asked to do. Not to mention, it doesn't give, it doesn't commit Jake Paul to doing it. It gives T-Wood a way out. They had a bet. There is no way out of that. It was a public bet. He has a deal. If he goes back on his word, he goes, but now T-Wood has a way out. The way out is, I didn't get the tattoo, but therefore I don't get the rematch, so everything's even. Now, that's not my interpretation of their deal. Their deal was straight up, whoever gets their hand raised, other one gets a tattoo. But person I was having the discussion with said there's no way T-Wood gets the tat. That had never crossed my mind. I still don't think that's true. I think T-Wood is going to get it. Paul has added to this via a tweet certain stipulations. 
It must be three inches by two inches. It must be visible while wearing reasonable shorts and a t-shirt. Like there was some stuff that went with it that possibly gives Tyron some wiggle room and possibly I'm making too much of this damn bet. Maybe I am. But either way, a bet was made. It looks like T. Wood's got to get the tattoo. And then it was added to with it in the form of a stipulation, which is we will sign a contract and we will give you match number two if and only if you do it. To which some people are now guessing T. Wood is not going to get it, which I had it never crossed my mind. I think he is going to get it. I don't know if he's going to get the second match. I do believe that he's going to get the tattoo, and maybe I'm way off on this. But those two's ability, T. Wood and Paul, to create something over a simple wager, it was job well done. And the payrolls came out for this. T. Wood got a couple of million dollars. I don't know if there's back-end money on top of that. I don't know if this was a pay-per-view structure and there's some points. I don't know that it matters. It's a very good payday. But again, T-Wood's motivations are very different. This is a college wrestler who in any given season, of which he did four of them, took on roughly 35 guys. The conference and the weight class that T-Wood was at, I mean, these are the hardest and best guys out there. He did it for absolutely free in front of a very small audience that attends these wrestling events because he had a burning desire inside. I don't know that T. Wood's ever gotten his credit as a competitor. He's one of my favorites. He's one of my favorites, and he did a lot of things very well that you should go back and study his career, and not just adapting and learning and reaching high levels. He did small stuff. T. Wood made sure he got credit. T. Wood had a fight. It was against Carlos Condit, and something happened within the fight that ended the contest. I want to say it was like Carlos's knee. Maybe Carlos threw a kick, something like this, but he falls over. He hurt his leg. Now, generally, most guys aren't going to get credit for that. Whoa, freak injury, accident, let's run this one back. The record books are going to reflect it. We've got to bring conclusion to this. T-Wood wins. We're going to call it a TKO. Betters go ahead and go to the window. But you don't get much credit for it. T-Wood demanded his credit. I give a damn how this happened. The objective is to hurt the other one. The number one objective is to He made sure he got his credit. When T-Wood started calling for title fights, and I remember this clearly, it was back in the Fox days. 2012-ish, 2013-ish. But I remember T-Wood was 3-2 and two in his last five. He was 2-2 two and two in his last four. I mean, if you break it down, it wasn't overly impressive, but he was demanding title shots. He was making sure when he was knocking guys out, when he was stopping them, when he stopped Jay Haran, he was making sure that everybody noticed and gave him credit. Now, on the nights that T-Wood did it, there was 11 fights. He was one of them. He wasn't even a main event, but he was the one that stood out. He really was because he would demand, look at who I beat, look at everything that he's done, look at everything I just took from him, look at what my placement should be, bring me a world title fight. And he kept saying it. He was the only guy that said it, and he got the fight. And then T-Wood went from there. He went from there, diving into rap, making a cameo over here. TMZ did a show with him. He wasn't afraid to work hard. He demanded he got credit. He wasn't afraid to work hard. I think there's a lot of things that he's done very well in his career. I don't know where this rematch goes. I don't know where this tattoo business goes. The mere fact that Jake Paul took everything from everybody, including you, the audience, in the form of a retirement, I don't care that it was insincere. There's a level of entertainment being played here. It was played out in a social media platform and 160 characters or less at 345 in the afternoon. You tell me another fighter that entertains you in any fashion at 345 in the afternoon on a weekday. As simple as it may sound, he's the only one that did it. He gets credit for that. 
So that wraps up the action that we saw Sunday night. Now let's revisit Saturday's UFC card, which featured a headliner with a lot on the line that many of you were really excited about. All right, let's talk some Giga, right? You gotta understand, Giga has been running his mouth for a period of time, which I, for one, like. There's a lot of guys throwing punches and kicks locked inside of a steel cage. Why am I watching you? And moreover, even on one night, there's going to be 10 other guys doing it. Why are you the main event? Giga's been speaking up. Giga has been all about action. And back the tape up, guys. A lot of you may not know this. Giga came through the Dana White Contender Series. I know that because he fought my teammate. Austin Springer happens to be my teammate. Austin beat him. We beat Giga in that fight. Austin didn't get picked up. Giga did. Now, Austin got to go get, get his level of participation too. But here's Giga, a guy that Austin beat, and he's in a main event. But Giga never stopped talking. And one thing that Giga was talking about specifically is I am the best striker in MMA. Now, that was interesting for me. When you're in MMA, you're the best in MMA. You're one of the best in MMA. You should be fighting for the title because you're so good at MMA. He broke it down and said, I am the best striker. One point, one round, but it also turns your eyes to him. It was something to talk about. In the same interview where Giga claimed that he was the best striker, he called out Max Holloway. And if you guys remember that time frame, there was a dialogue going on, who's the best striker in MMA? I mean, they'd even narrowed it down. Was it Conor McGregor? Was it Max Holloway? Is it Dustin Poirier? Do you remember? And that was like, people were writing articles. People were arguing. They were even breaking Max's fight down with Dustin. And other people were saying, well, yeah, but Dustin was bigger. Yeah, but Max is a rhythm fighter. It was a real thing. And all of a sudden, Giga's inserted himself in it. So when Giga called out Max, Max didn't even tell him no. Giga was so small, Max Holloway didn't even have to respond. But I'll tell you, I took note. I paid attention when Giga said it. And I went back and I started watching a couple of Giga's fight tapes. And I talked to some people that are in the room. Jake Ellenberger, who's told me before people knew what a Giga was, Ellenberger, he and I talk all the time. I mean, you got to see this guy. And Ellenberger was telling me this guy's like a three-time talking about he's like a three-time European point karate champion, and he's won national title. I mean, Ellenberger had the whole resume down, but I was paying attention to Giga, and I was very interested that he was calling himself specifically the best striker. Now, again, Max didn't have to speak up. That call out went on deaf ears but now Giga's a main eventer and now Giga backing up is in the ring with Barboza who we all know to be a fantastic striker and you can talk about who the best striker is I suppose it'd be very tough to quantify but if we're just going off popular opinion the best kicker in all of MMA is Edson Barboza nobody kicks as fast nobody kicks as often nobody does as much damage with a kick as Edson does so now that Giga's going to be in there with one of the best strikers in Edson, absolutely the best kicker, how's he going to do in that realm? And Giga doesn't even have to beat Edson. Don't forget that. Giga made this very small. I'm the best striker. If he would have been taken down and choked out by Edson, Giga's claim still lives on, which was another reason I loved it. Another reason I thought from a marketing standpoint, he's on to something here. I don't know what it is yet. I don't know how this is going to play out. But there's something to the claim by Giga that he's the best striker. Okay, great. So he gets in there with Barboza, and Giga's, Giga's hot. I mean, he's red hot. His training's going well. He's in the room. 
Rafael Cadero, one of the great trainers of all time. Benny Daurush is in the room just by example. He's surrounded by studs out here with Black House. Kelvin Gatslam is in the room. I could play this name drop game. Giga's going to have to go into five rounds. He's going to have to go in with Edson, neither which is a fantastically overwhelming wrestler, which leads you to believe they're going to be on their feet. And it could go up to five rounds. The gig is up. Whatever fun Giga has had, whatever attention Segan Giga has been after, the gig is up. We now find out what's real and what's not. Giga's as good as he said he was. And as much as I appreciate how Giga was able to get inside and do... This was a two-man sport. Barboza fought well, too. And one thing that Barboza got shut down on was those kicks. And I've watched that fight, and I will re-watch it again, purely from the technical standpoint. What was it that Giga was doing? Okay, if you're an expert in fighting, then answer this question for me. I'll get the answer, but I'm going to have to go back. I will read your comments. If you're an expert in fighting, tell me this. What was it that Giga was doing? What look was Giga providing that made Edson not throw those kicks, right? Because if you're dealing with a weapon, in this case, the kicks of Barboza, if you're dealing with a weapon, one of the arts of war is if the other guy doesn't ever fire the shot. It's not how many kicks can I take or can I time this right and check it. If I can make him never pull the trigger to start with, and that's what Giga did. I realize Edson threw kicks, but not in the same volume as a traditional Barboza fight. And I would like to know, and I will get the answer to it myself, what was it that Giga was doing? What was it that made Edson think twice? The number one thing in a broad stroke to stop a kicker from kicking is to threaten the takedown nonstop. You threaten it in the media, you threaten it at the press conference, the second he throws a kick, you change elevation, you blast him, you make it a grappling aspect. That's Giga promised to not do that. Giga nowhere said, I'm going to catch the kick. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to out-wrestle you. He said, you bring your punches and kicks and I'll bring mine. But somehow Giga still got Barboza to holster his greatest weapon. So these guys go out there and fight. Tie everything in together. Giga gets the win. Giga moves on. And Giga is still calling out Max Holloway. Now, when, last time Giga did that, Max didn't even have to respond. The call-out was so quiet. Right, It was the oldest adage, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, doesn't make a sound. That's what Giga's call out of Max was. Nobody heard it. Max didn't have to respond. Max is now going to have to respond. Max might tell him, take the idea and shove it up your ass. He might tell him no, but he's going to have to respond. What a difference a day has made for Giga. A guy who loses on Dana White Contender Series is now a main event on ESPN. Is now calling out a champion of the world. And he's going to get a response. Now, Max Holloway is something very special. We don't need to break down the X's and O's and who do we think is going to win between Max and Giga. We don't have to do any of that. The mere fact that we're having the conversation, the mere fact that that fight could get made, the mere fact that Max is now in a spot where he's going to have to respond to a guy who lost his first time on television and is now a main eventer, I mean, there's some guys you want to be like. There's some guys you don't. There's some guys you wish you could fight like. You wish you had a right hand like this guy or a double leg like this guy. There's some guys that show character that you actually want to be like. Giga is one of those guys. 
So also on Saturday night, one of my favorites made his return. Now to refresh your memory, the last time Kevin Lee fought was back in March of 2020 against guess who? Charles Oliveira himself. Kevin's battled injury since, surgeries, and had his Sean Brady fight canceled, but now he's back, and you know what? I think he looked great. This sport is so cold, right? Let me talk to you about what is going on with Kevin Lee right now, because it's extremely relevant. Let's just take another sport, throw a dart at the board, what do you come up with? All right, basketball, great, let's use basketball. You have a player who gets hurt. You have a player who has missed a meaningful amount of time. They're now suited up, they're cleared by the doctors, they're back on the courts. There is no basketball team anywhere with any starter in the history of the league that goes in and plays the entire game. That has simply never happened. Never! Literal statement, never! A starter gets hurt, a starter goes out, a starter comes back, they're suited up, their first game in, they do not play whistle to whistle. It has never happened. So you take a guy like Kevin Lee, who was on the injury list, who's coming back, who has no frame of reference for what his conditioning is like, what his timing is like, not to mention he's changed weight classes. That is a, that's a difficult thing to do. You change weights, regardless of outcome, your performance is going to be different. Do you perform well enough to get your hand raised? Do you not? Two-man sport. However that plays out, it plays out. I just share for you, there is no sport over the history of time where a guy has been removed for a period of time and he goes in for the entire game. Kevin Lee did, by the way, at a different weight class. He's expected to win? He's expected to beat the other guy? He's expected to adjust to the weight? He's expected to deal with the injury? He's expecting to have the timing and the condition and all the things that go to into it all in one night? Any other player from any other sport would be able to go in for a few minutes and then come out. Even if they were playing great, if everything was cool in the gang, the coach would still pull them out. They'd let a backup go in, coach would come over and talk to them, assess how you doing, how's the knee doing, maybe put them in for a few more minutes, pull them back out. Players on the side going, coach, please put me back in, they could really use me. Coach says, you know what, I don't want to push this. You did a good job, you got a sweat, you got out there, I like what I'm seeing, we're done for tonight. We just are regardless of how you feel you're done. Well, in this sport, it doesn't work that way. You don't get to, uh, to tag in the backup. You don't get to, a coach to pull you out. You don't get to go to the locker room and put ice on it and then come back in for the third quarter, right? I mean, it's just not the way this game is played. But at the same time, how much do you want to expect out of an athlete? Where's the good job, Kevin, is what I'm wondering. Where's the pat on the back? Where's Hey, by the way, how you feeling? How's that knee doing? It looked like you held up pretty well. Did you come back too soon? Do we need to do anything? This is where I would like to think we as an audience would behave. Not to mention, hey, Kevin, how do you feel at the weight class? How were those 15 pounds? I imagine you got fatigued a little bit differently, didn't you? But I saw that you pushed through it anyway. We can be as big a jerks as we want. We can be as cold as we want to be. This sport, I mean, right, welcome to life. It's not always very nice, but there is some kind of an extent where out of decency as a human being, you do follow the golden rule of put yourself in somebody else's shoes. How would you have done gone for X amount of time? All right, great. What if I couple on the fact that you weren't even training the way that you wanted to because you were injured? That's very different. You step away from the sport for a million different reasons. Luke Rockhold is doing it right now, just to give you an example that you would know. Luke has removed himself from the sport for a period of time, but he wasn't hurt. So he could have gone into the gym regularly. He could have got that second workout in. He could have stayed sharp. If you have a guy who's injured, he can't do those things, and therefore you can't expect that he did do them 
you can't expect him to look great. Then he changes weight classes, which is to take a big risk. This is a former title challenger. I'm back to Kevin Lee, but you're talking about a guy that is a former world title challenger. He's done multiple main events, and now he's going to fight a guy who nobody knows who he is. That doesn't mean that the guy isn't a great fighter. It just means he's taking a little bit of a risk. Kevin Lee's taking a little bit of a risk. He's putting a lot on the line in a different weight class after an injury against a guy who is not a household name in a sport where perception is reality. The perception that if you have a name that people within the sport don't know, he's you're not very good. That's a big risk. And he went out and he did it like a man at the weight class he agreed to on the night he agreed to He stood strong. He hung in there. It looked, by my eyes, like he was fatigued, which I would expect him to be. It looked like he was fatigued and had to dig deep. But again, why would he not get credit for that? That's what fighting is. Fighting is a term that has been so corrupted over my lifetime. Now it's about the punches and the kicks and the setups and the power. It's supposed to be about who moves forward when it's hard, who gets up when they'd rather not, who answers the bell when it's easier to stay on the stool. Kevin did all of those things. And at the end of the night, in addition to everything, he ends up not getting his hand raised. So what? There was only two guys out there. Your odds are not very good in this game. They're just not very good. But where's the decency? Where's the grace of human beings to look at it, understand what he went through, understand it was darn near insurmountable? I don't know if there's anybody on the roster, and we got some damn good fighters. I don't know if there's anybody in the roster that you could give an injury to, remove from the sport, change a weight class. I mean, look, this is what John Jones is going through right now, minus the injury. And this is not my typical take a shot at John Jones session. In all fairness, John is being very disciplined. He knows he's changing weight classes. Don't think you have to correct me and tell me 205 to 265 and it's a bigger jump. I get it. He still went up one weight class. That's what Kevin Lee did. But John didn't have to deal with the injury. It was just the opposite. He was in the gym training, trying to put on the bulk. It's very different, the scenario. And Kevin has a job. If he wants to go out and get paid and he wants to earn a living, he's got to make a date. You got to, at some point, you got to write a date down and boom, here's the finish line. Many people would not do that. Many people would buy more time. Many people would come up with excuses. He did none of those things, not to mention took a risk as a former main event title challenger, taking on somebody you're not familiar with in a different weight class. And there's always positives. Sometimes you got to find them. But the mere fact that he got 15 good minutes in any other sport, football, baseball, basketball, the coach would pull you out. No matter how well you were performing, the coach would pull you out. For sure, 100%, you won't find an example where what I just said is not absolutely, literally true. He doesn't get to come out. He gets to come out when the job is done. And we're, we're going to talk about what should we do with him now. We're going to talk about you got beat by a guy we're not familiar with. How about we take some of those obstacles out of the way? How about we find a date three or four months from now, boom, we circle it on the calendar, get to come back in, same weight class, do everything again, anybody you want to pick, but let him have a couple of reps, which is what he got over the weekend. That's what it's about. Your comeback fight, that's what it's about. This wasn't a cash grab. This wasn't he was on the top of the bill and he could fill up an arena. He was one of the guys on the card looking to go out there, get experience, get some reps, and that's what he did. In my opinion... He did a damn good job.
close out today's show, another tweet has the MMA world talking about a fight that all of us want to see, and man, I really hope we do get to see it one day. Conor McGregor just tweeted, and it's open for interpretation. Like a lot of Conor tweets, picture of him and Nate Diaz, press conference from one of their first two fights, staring each other down. Conor puts a caption on it, put on 30 pounds, I assume he's talking about himself, put on 30 pounds of muscle, and say ding ding. Now, I'm close to verbatim on that, I don't need to be corrected. The point is still the same, which is Connor is starting to uh, point his cannon in a direction other than solely at Dustin Poirier. We knew this was coming. There's also a message in it, right? If you're a fighter, don't ever quit swinging and don't ever quit talking. And Connor McGregor versus Nate, which everybody wants to see, that's an ace up the sleeve like no other in this sport that you could pull out and throw on the table at any point in time. Both of these guys are coming off losses. I think both of these guys are coming off of multiple losses. I know Connor for two because I can get both to Poirier. I think he lost his previous fight to that. I think that goes all the way back to Khabib. Somewhere along the way, he lost a fight to Floyd Mayweather. I don't think Connor's won a fight in a meaningful period of time. I don't know what Nate's record is, even though I've seen all of his fights right off the top of my head. I know that he lost to Leon. My point is the same, which is it's about more than just getting your hand raised. Now, I should be stating the obvious. I should be preaching to the choir. I should not have to dumb this down any more than I am, but I do need to. And if you think that you can do a career on your wins alone... Unless your name is Floyd Mayweather or John Jones in his prime, where you truly could beat anybody that they brought to you. You truly could. You're going to have a hard time doing it. And one thing that MMA, and it will start with Dana, but then it goes to you guys. You guys get the credit. Is MMA has made losing acceptable. That's a feat that boxing never succeeded at and a road that they never went down. I could introduce you, literally you, two boxing managers right now who could get you to 20-0. and 0. I could introduce you to boxing right now where if you sign with them, you will be 20-0. and 0. And if you're 20-0 and 0 and that's good enough for a big, beautiful poster, you can go fight for a world championship in the sport of boxing. I fault boxing for that. A lot of times a guy will get to 20-0 or 28-0 or 30-0 fighting nothing but cans. He's going to get $200 a fight. He's going to be an opening card at the dog park. He's going to be at a bar somewhere. Literally, they bring rings in. This is a real thing in boxing. I had a boxing fight at a bar in front of nobody. But it's a real thing, and you can get yourself to 20-0, and, and it's very important that you do it. And one of the reasons you can get to 20-0 isn't just because there's cans out there who you can pay a few hundred bucks to to step in the ring to get you a win. It's because it's very hard to get a guy that's 11-0 with another guy who's 11-0. Or 15-0 against a 12-0. It's very hard to do. 
because they both realize one of us is going to lose, and whoever loses, it throws you off the track of keeping hope alive of ever fighting for a world championship. If you have two or three losses in boxing, it's over. If you have double-digit losses in boxing, first off, you're a bum. You will not be welcomed to the community. You will never be put on a poster, but you largely will be retired. You will not have anyone that will go out there and fight you because they're risking it. It's one of those things where in all sport there comes a risk, but in the sport of boxing, they've never made it acceptable to be defeated. And that starts with the promotion of the leadership, but it also spills over to the fans. In the sport of MMA, we credit guys who go out there and try. We credit guys who get up after failing and try again. And get up after failing and try again. And that started with our leadership, but it it's a story that got brought to you, the viewer, and you, the viewer, accepted it. I think it would work for boxing as well. I don't think a guy has to be undefeated. In no other sport is that a requirement. I have seen LeBron James, as you have, become a world champion and within the same week not only have lost, he's lost multiple times. When they go to Game 7, within a one-week period, that team that wins it will have not only lost, they'll have lost multiple times in the same week. But that sport, that's very, very realistic. Tiger Woods could go out on any given weekend and lose to 20 people. He could come in 21st on any given weekend. He will be given a shot the very next weekend. He might come out, beat them all, and win. But that sport. And it's a major miss by boxing. It's a major miss by the leadership of boxing. And it's a major win to MMA. And it's very obvious. If you guys just want to talk about the business side of it, okay, great. What do you want to see more? Poirier versus Connor again. Connor versus Diaz again. I don't fault you for whatever your answer is, but the mere fact that you have to stop and go, well, yeah, yeah, shows you that they're pretty close. Shows you that it's pretty close in terms of which one you would anticipate more. Poirier coming off nothing but beautiful victories. Diaz coming off a defeat to Lee. It doesn't matter. It's a match that you want to see with characters that you find interesting, doing something that you understand. It's very basic. It's very basic, but if you feel that you have to go about this career and you can do it on your own or you can push back or you can turn down fights or that everybody needs to act and manipulate to acquiesce to you, you're going to find out that you're alone and you're going to find out that you're not a great businessman who's wonderful at negotiating. You're going to find out that you're unemployed. In the world of fighting, even though you're only asked to go to work three times a year, if you think you are a brilliant negotiator, but it keeps you out of competition, you're now unemployed. That is the story, and it's not a new one. What I'm saying for you should be painfully obvious. If you follow the sport, if you're a long-timer like me that goes back from the conception, goes back to the 90s, you know all of these things to be true. But we have these new stars that step in there week after week, time after time, get what's called a push, where they get the media and the people behind, they get a push with their career, and they somehow be the one that stops it. Whether it's they overthought a contest, which is generally the one. Generally, if there's any death nail, is that the fighter doesn't think it makes sense. If a fighter ever has done an interview in the history of time and he uses the word sense, he's an idiot. 
Historically speaking, there has never been a fighter to talk about what makes sense, and he's been right. If his manager comes out and talks like that, if his trainer comes out and talks like that, it should, there's something about that word, and I'm not here to tell you that there's things that don't make sense, right? If it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. I understand the whole thing. What I'm sharing with you, you'll never find a fighter who said this makes sense and been right. He has no idea what direction they're going. And you've seen a number of fighters who try to sit down and they hang on to principle. They cling to something. They think that they're being a good negotiator. They think they're standing up from the boys. And all that happens as time goes on is they look back and they find themselves unemployed. And it's a very tough spot how you want to do your career. I will tell you what I like, and I can only speak for what I like. I like a competitor. I'd love it if a guy had a big, beautiful record like Khabib's. Something and O. Oh. Like Hicks and Gracie, something to know. I'll just also acknowledge how uncommon it is. And that in the world of sport, including that of a great superstar like LeBron James, the day that he won a world championship and even got named MVP, within the previous seven days, he had not only lost, he had lost multiple times. But in real sport, we accept that. We will accept a story that you peaked at the right time. We'll accept the story that you knew when to win. We will accept the story that everything was preparation for the big moment. We'll help you tell it. If you don't go out there and compete because something didn't make sense to you, you do not go down as a wonderful businessman. And there are a few guys that do get credit that have held out, right? But the, the litmus test is real simple. March 1st, here's the date, March 1st. You get a phone call to fight on that day. You push and pull, you tug, you go to the media, you do all your negotiations, you fly out to Vegas, you sit down, you hammer it home. If you make that date on March 1st, you won. You did a great job. If anything within your deal got changed, if anything got a little bit more beautiful, if your participation was more, but you made that date, you won. If anything happens, even if you get everything that you asked for, but you're not there on March 1st, you lost. That's how this goes. There is many fighters who are holding out, let's just call it 10, right? Simple number, they're looking for 10. They're being offered four. They eventually get the 10, but they passed up on what could have been getting the four 11 times. Fighters love to talk about sense. What fighters are bad at is math. And if you're a competitor, it wouldn't make a bit of difference. Tom Brady would never pull this crap. Tom Brady, the biggest star in football, is not going to refuse to take to the field because it's against the Rams and he thinks he should be playing the Raiders. He'll get to the Raiders. That's next week. That's on the schedule. Just by example. A player will go out and play. A competitor will go out there and compete. A fighter will go out and fight. And there's a number of ways to get out of something, but make no mistake, that's what you're doing. If there's any reason why you don't walk outside, any reason, no problem. But you lost. And I'm seeing fighters going through this right now. I'm seeing fighters on the back end of their contracts with their promotions and organization, and they're trying to talk and make sure that the world knows that they're going to be free in X amount of time. Those are things that should be done privately. There's a loyalty that needs to be shown to whoever you are with in the first place that set up the media interview that you're now talking about double-crossing them. Somebody set that interview up, serve that person, and guess what you get? Another interview. 
And if you think that your adversaries or the counterparts are looking at that and chomping at the bit and going, oh wow, X amount of time till this unloyal prick becomes available, it doesn't work that way. You're not a wonderful negotiator. You are simply unemployed. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I appreciate you listening and continuing to review the show on Apple Podcasts like our friend Badger, who says, best podcast around. Well, thank you, Badger. And thanks to all of you. I'm going to be back on Friday with more from the combat world. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.